Hello, hello, New York Rangers fans, and welcome to episode 95 of the New Ice City Podcast. Happy New Year to everybody. This is our first episode of 2023. That still sounds weird to say. I still, when I'm taking my notes and writing down the date, have been finding myself in the last few days ending it with 22. So I have to get in the habit of 23. I'm working on it. Hopefully we'll get there soon. We are now five episodes away from number 100 overall for this podcast, so that is something to look forward to, but we've got a lot of work to do until then. This week's guest, I want to make sure I mention him up top because I'm excited about this one. It's not necessarily the most flashy name that we've had on this podcast, but I think it's an interesting conversation, and I think this is the right forum to do it. I went to the Rangers morning skate on Tuesday prior to their game against the Carolina Hurricanes, and it was optional. And the only guys that took the ice were the guys that weren't going to play. But a guy who was among them, who I've gotten to know much better in the last few weeks, especially now that there's no COVID restrictions and we're back in the locker room and all that, and who I thought would be interesting for you guys to hear from is Johnny Brodzinski. And the conversation is going to really go into a guy like that who's 29 years old, has bounced around quite a bit, has mostly played in the AHL, has never really had an extended opportunity to live out his NHL dream, but he keeps chasing that dream. And what does that take as far as perseverance, as far as mental fortitude? What keeps him striving to accomplish that goal? So you're going to hear from Johnny about that side. And I think that that's a story that isn't told often enough in a lot of cases. We obviously focus on the stars and the guys that put up the points and the guys that that make flashy plays at the NHL level, and rightfully so. But a guy like Brodzinski, who is a real character guy, very much respected in this organization. I, I think there's real value to taking some time to kind of understand what a guy like that goes through and, and what keeps him ticking and what keeps him pushing and going into each day with a positive outlook. So you're going to hear from Brodzinski on this week's episode. We're going to get into everything that's happened with the Rangers since the holiday break, and there is a lot to get to, but I want to start with the news of the day, and that is that the Rangers have agreed to terms on a two-year contract extension with forward Jimmy Vesey. The average annual value of that contract is $800,000 per year. Now, that's not including this year. That will begin next season, so that will take Vesey through the 24-25 season. And this really no matter which way you slice it, is quite the bargain for the Rangers. This has worked out incredibly well for them since they brought in VC on a PTO at training camp this year. He earned a spot on the roster. He solidified his place in the lineup every night. I think it's very hard to argue with that. If you look at a lot of the underlying numbers, he's been one of the best players on the team as far as expected goal rates, as far as scoring chances against. His defensive metrics are really strong. He's been a valuable guy for them on the penalty kill and just his overall versatility for this lineup. He's obviously not a guy that you're going to want to play in your top six often, but in a pinch, if it's an injury situation or what have you, you're comfortable doing it. He's played in those roles before. This is a guy who's scored 
I think, 19 goals in multiple seasons in his NHL career. So he does have decent scoring touch, but he's really remade himself in the last couple years when his career was kind of flailing to become a much better defensive player, a really reliable PK guy. He can play on either wing. He was always a natural left winger, but he's moved to the right side pretty seamlessly to help the Rangers fill a need so far this season. And you feel really comfortable and confident with him in a bottom six role for you. And I think, I think above all else, I want to take a moment to appreciate what he's done. You're going to hear soon, I just touched on Johnny Brodzinski and the journey that a guy like that has gone through and the perseverance that it requires. And I think much of the same can be said about VC. He's another guy I've been able to get to know him pretty well in the last few weeks, few months, really. You guys have heard him on the podcast. A down-to-earth guy, really fits in well with that locker room, doesn't seem to have much of an ego, and I know the guys in the locker room really like and respect him as well, as does Chris Drury and a lot of people in the organization. So he's fit in really well with that sort of hard hat mentality. Whatever you need from me, I'm willing to do. I'll do the dirty work. I'll kill penalties, whatever it is. This is a guy who was a big scorer in college and has figured out ways to to be effective when that side of his game has kind of tailed off for him in recent years. And I think that that speaks to his character. And I think that that's something that we should all appreciate. This is a guy who came here with very limited expectations, but you knew he wanted to be here. He loved being here in his first go around. He was disappointed when he was traded a few years ago. And to be able to get that second chance and then make the most of it, that's a pretty neat story. That's a cool thing for Jimmy VC, And it's something that I think as fans, I would hope you guys appreciate. I know for some people, you know, you worry about what his usage is going to be and what does this mean for the future? And is this going to be a guy that they keep finding ways to move into the top six? I do not think that's the plan with him. And you've seen, even though he did have a stretch where he played up in the lineup with Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider, that the usage recently has been much more in line with what you expect from a guy like VC, And that's playing in the bottom six and killing penalties and chipping in a little offense here and there. And in that kind of role, again, he's he's really quite the bargain because you think about $800,000 and you look at some other forwards in the league that are getting paid in that similar range. I mean, the minimum is seven fifty. dollars So you're not going up very high from that in order to keep him for a couple extra years. And that helps you fill the bottom of your lineup with a guy who is A, effective in that role, and B, relatively cheap, very cheap, in fact. So I've I've had some people quickly on Twitter, I've seen responding, wondering what this means for the future of the Rangers, knowing they have some guys that they're going to have to give contract extensions to this summer. Having VC at 800,000 on the books doesn't hurt the cause for re-signing Keandre Miller and Alexi Lafreniere and Philip Heedle. I would argue that it helps because now you know that you have a guy that you're comfortable playing in your bottom six for what amounts to very close to the league veteran minimum. And so that gives you money that you can allocate elsewhere. And I think it will actually help the Rangers have a little more cost certainty when it comes time to sit down and negotiate with Miller, Lafreniere, and Heedle. So I think this is a win-win all around. In a worst-case scenario, if it's not working out in months, years, whatever have you, 
It's not a big deal to waive him. Maybe somebody claims him. Maybe he goes down to the minors. But the way that he's playing right now, there's no reason to even think about that. He has earned his spot in the lineup and and to give him this contract extension. And for him to be willing to take an AAV that's that low, I think is a win for definitely for the Rangers and for VC. It gives him some clarity on his future and some comfort and some stability. And I know from talking to him that that's something that he values and he's really super happy to be here. If you couldn't tell already, you can tell by him being willing to accept that kind of an AAV for those years. So that is a good thing for the Rangers and a good thing for VC. And now we can get to what's happened in these last four games. The Rangers came out of the Christmas break flat. Their first game against the Washington Capitals, they lose that four to nothing. It was not a good performance by any stretch of the imagination. There really wasn't much you could point to and say was a positive for the Rangers in that game. But with all that being said, I frankly did not see that as any reason to panic because prior to Christmas, the Rangers had been on that stretch where they won eight out of nine, I believe it was, and had been playing much better and getting better results, more importantly. And so one loss, as bad as it might have looked, didn't feel like any reason to, to jump overboard. Now, Gerard Gallant seemed to feel a little bit differently. After that game, he was pissed. He called the team's performance garbage. He called them soft. He spoke at length about how disappointed he was in that game And his actions prove that because even though the Rangers had gone through this stretch before Christmas where they were winning quite a bit, one bad loss was all it took for Gallant to throw those lines back in the blender. He did it during the game against the Capitals. He did it again in the following day's practice. And of course, the move that garnered the most attention was his decision, his his surprising decision to scratch Alexi Lafreniere, of course, the former number one overall pick in the 2020 NHL draft. At the time, I certainly thought it was an overreaction. I I think in a lot of ways you could argue that all the attention that came from that is only going to add pressure on a kid who has struggled and has yet to really live up to the expectations that a lot of people had for him when he came out of the draft. Although I will kind of as a side note emphasize this. I've had a lot of people reach out in the last week or so saying this was supposed to be the next Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews. I don't know where a lot of you got that from. Obviously, he was the number one overall pick, so people thought he was going to be really, really good and expectations were super high for him. But nobody that I talked to in the lead up to that draft thought that he was on that McDavid-Matthews level. Everybody said he was a notch or two below that, but obviously people expected him to be better than what he's been up to this point for the Rangers. The point total hasn't been there, but I I really think in this case, beyond just not being offensively what you hoped he would be, I think this scratch was the result of what the Rangers and specifically Gerard Gallant perceived as poor defensive play and a lack of effort in certain situations. I know they have questioned Lafreniere when it comes to back checking and, and things of that nature. You've seen him do that at a fairly high level, especially in the playoffs last year where his effort level, his energy level was really high. He seemed to have an extra jump in his step during the playoffs last season. He was a really effective four checker, I thought, in the playoffs last season, but that's run a little too hot and cold. 
for the Rangers' liking. And I think that that was part of the message that they were trying to get across, where even if you're not scoring, we want to see you doing these other little things. So I can't say that I think that the scratch was completely unjustified, but was he the biggest culprit in the lineup in that Washington game? I'm not so sure. And again, this move kind of scapegoated him in a lot of ways. Now, with all of that being said, a couple things that I will say to sort of, I guess, maybe help you understand what I think the reasoning behind that decision was. Number one, he responded well the last time that the Rangers made this move. A lot of you will remember last season, late in the year, I think it was April something, in Philadelphia. I remember this vividly because I was I was there with the team on that trip. Lafreniere was scratched for that game against the Flyers, and it was for a lot of the same reasons that I just laid out. And what happened after that? The very next game, he, he scores two goals, and then the Rangers went into the playoffs, and we spoke about how effective he was during that run. So I do think that that was talked about internally and the hope was, well, maybe we can light a fire again and get the same kind of response. Couple games back, I don't think it's had quite the same effect yet, but it's still early and we'll see. So I do think that that was part of their hope in doing that. And then the other thing is I did reach out to a few people who know him pretty well. And I did talk to him, Lafreniere himself, after he was demoted, although at the time I spoke to him, I didn't know he was going to be scratched. I thought he was going to be on the fourth line, but still he knew that the message was being sent that he didn't play well and he needed to step it up. I can tell you guys, I'm fairly confident that this won't cause any kind of a rift or this won't be the kind of thing that lingers with him or that that he's going to really pout about. I was told by multiple people that he's the kind of kid who who looks inward more, who's going to look in the mirror more from this kind of thing. When I spoke to him, he talked a lot about how he needs to be better. He did not want to complain about it or assess any blame beyond himself. So I don't, my interpretation of this is that him being scratched for one game doesn't necessarily mean that all of a sudden he, he wants out or he's upset with the organization or he's going to request a trade. I think those things are also overreactions, and that's why I don't really see much validity to some of the trade rumors that have been floated in the last handful of days. I've had a lot of people tweet at me and email me about it and that sort of thing, but my sense is, A, we certainly haven't reached the point where Lafreniere is looking for a fresh start or wants out by any stretch, and B, from the Rangers' perspective, It doesn't make any sense to trade this guy right now because the perception around the league is that his value has been diminished. They just scratched the guy. So obviously opposing GMs are going to smell blood in the water and see if they can maybe lowball the the Rangers and and get this guy on the cheap. But what sense does that make for the Rangers? You're not going to take a guy that you drafted number one overall and then trade him for pennies on the dollar because people around the league think that you're not happy with him. This is not the timing for any kind of a trade. I'm not guaranteeing that he's going to be here for the long term. I think, though, if that was going to be evaluated, that's more of an off-season decision than it is an in-season decision. And I certainly don't see the Rangers trading him at a point like this when his value is low. So I don't think that any kind of a trade is happening anytime soon. And that's why I wouldn't put too much stock into some of those rumors that have been floated. Since the scratch, the Rangers have played much better. I'm not saying it's a result of that, but these are just the facts. If you look at these last three games, 
They went to Tampa. I thought they played a really solid game. It was kind of wide open. There was a lot of shots both ways. Both goalies, Igor Shosturkin and Andre Vasilevsky, were outstanding in that game. That really lived up to the hype of those being the two best goalies in the world. And the Rangers went toe-to-toe with them. That game went to a shootout. They collected a point. They very easily could have won that game. So they played a solid game in Tampa. And since then, they've collected back-to-back wins, one in Florida against the Panthers, and then another on Tuesday night against the Carolina Hurricanes. And the win against the Hurricanes, who came in firing on all cylinders, they had won 11 games in a row. I don't think they had lost a game in regulation for 17 straight. Their first place in the Metro Division. I think they have the second best record in the entire league behind the Boston Bruins. So this is a team that you know is dangerous. And you know in the past has given the Rangers some fits, even though they slayed that beast with that seven-game series win in the second round of the playoffs last year. But Carolina, we've talked about them a bunch of times, with their speed and their forecheck and their aggressiveness and how they try to force you into mistakes and capitalize on those and how many pucks they throw at the net. They do all of these things that make them just such a, a pesky group on top of having some really good players. So them being able to, them as in the Rangers, being able to respond when they didn't have a great first period, quickly adjust and start figuring out ways to break through that forecheck, which I really think was a matter, and a couple of the guys said this after the game, but just simplifying. You're not going to be able to get away with a lot of those east-west passes, especially in your own zone when you're trying to clear the puck and break it out. You got to really just advance the puck up the ice against this team, and you've got to engage, and you've got to win those battles for those pucks on retrievals. You've got to play fast. That's the way that you're going to break through against a team like Carolina. And I thought the Rangers, especially because they know this team so well, were able to adapt and start playing that kind of a game as we got into the second period and then especially in the third. And you look at the way the game went down. The Rangers took multiple punches to the jaw and It was demoralizing in a lot of ways when they tie the game at 1-1 and 16 seconds later, the Hurricanes take the lead right back. They tie the game at 2-2 and less than 30 seconds later, the Hurricanes take the lead right back. So it just felt like these gut punches, like these, these moments in the game where the Rangers' medal was being tested, where they had to overcome adversity and they were able to do it multiple times in this game. And to me, it felt like last year. It felt like the character of this group and and the reemergence of that resiliency that we've really seen creeping back in in the last month or so. It feels like the Rangers are getting their swagger back. They're getting that feeling back where they never feel like they're out of a game and they're finding ways to pull wins out even if there were moments in the game where they, it wasn't pretty and, and things weren't necessarily going their way. They, they kept pushing, they kept pushing, and eventually they were able to overcome. So I don't think it was their best played game of the season by any stretch. I certainly don't think it was the prettiest win that they've had, but they were able to go through a game where they took their lumps And they still came back and found a way to win. And they did it against arguably the hottest team in the NHL. So all of those things add up to a really, really feel-good win for this Rangers team. And now they're pushing. You know, they keep 
inching their way back up in that Eastern Conference playoff picture. They're still a wild card team at this point, but it's looking like they're really going to be in this fight until the end. And they're looking a lot more like the type of team that we saw last year who on any given night can really beat any given team. Of course, a big part of their success in these last three games has been that top line that we had talked about so much and we were wondering when the Rangers would go back to this line of Chris Kreider, Mika Zibanejad, and Capo Caco. All of the analytics told you in that first month of the season that that was the best combination that the Rangers have had as far as any of their lines go so far this season. And if you watched closely in that opening month when those guys mostly played together, you saw how often they dominated possession, how much offensive zone time they were able to generate, and how many scoring chances they were able to generate. The problem was they weren't finishing a lot of those scoring chances, and eventually that led to a change. Was it a premature change? Should they have stuck things out longer? My opinion is yes. I know I've said that on this podcast, and I've written that before, but they ended up juggling things, and they went through... I don't know, a month or two where it seemed like there was a different lineup pretty much every game, but it always felt like eventually they needed to get back to that Kreider, Zabanajad, Kako line, and they've done it in the last three games, and boy, has it paid dividends for them. That line has been in the middle of almost every key goal that the Rangers have scored in these last three games against Tampa, Florida, and Carolina, and you look at Capo Caco in particular. Now, Mika has been hot. I think he has four goals in his last two or three games. I think through four goals in the last three games, I want to say. I don't have it in front of me. But I know Mika's been hot as far as scoring. But Caco and the way that he has been able to make plays for that line. He had an assist on the game-winning goal for Keandre Miller in the third period against Carolina. He had a couple of assists in the win over Florida. That that pass to Chris Kreider that he made from right along the goal line was as pretty as it gets. And the confidence that he is playing with right now is it's palpable. You can see it when you watch them. You can see it when you're around him. I, I got a chance to speak with him in the locker room the other day after practice, and he was absolutely beaming about this. He said he was so happy to have a chance to play with those guys again And I've written about this before, and I know I've talked about it on the podcast. He said, he told me a month or so ago, that the best he's ever felt in the NHL was that first month of the season when he got to play with those guys. He said he felt like he was playing the best hockey he's ever played when he had the opportunity to play with them. And it was clear to me that he was longing for the opportunity to get back with them and see if they could turn a lot of that possession and a lot of those scoring chances into more goals. So it seemed like it took, frankly, too long for Gerard Gallant to get back to that line. And if he or anybody else had a conversation with Kako, it was very clear to me that he wanted to get back to that, that he really appreciated that opportunity and played with the most confidence when he was with those guys. So it was overdue. But the main thing is that they eventually got back to it. And now I don't see any way that you could break those guys up. That line needs to stay together for the foreseeable future. I'm going to need to see a lot of bad games in a row from them before I would be convinced otherwise. That line 
is what the Rangers' top line should be. It works. And most importantly, it fuels Kako's confidence. It makes him a better player. You can see the way that he's playing. Gerard Gallant said it after the Carolina game. He's been one of our best players in the last three games. So for the sake of him and for the sake of the team, it is definitely the best outcome for them to keep those three together. Now, the rest of the lineup, to me, still feels a bit unsettled. I have a lot of questions as far as the other three lines. Does this Panarin and Trocheck thing work? I'm still not convinced. Gerard Glant wanted to get back to that. You know they signed Vincent Trocheck specifically to play with Panarin, but it hasn't popped yet. It hasn't shown you enough to believe that that is definitively the way that the Rangers should move forward. And then Vitaly Kratsov on that right wing, is he going to be the answer there? I think he's had flashes. I think he's had moments in the last couple of games where he's looked pretty good. But I also think that you've seen some mistakes from him as well. So it's a little up and down with him. I do think you need to give him a little more runway to get comfortable. It's good that he's had several games in a row now to play. You got to keep that going. But is that second line right wing spot going to be the place for him? We have to wait and see on that. And then the third line right now with Lafreniere, Heedle, and Jimmy Vesey, they quite frankly had a rough night against Carolina. It got to the point where Gerard Gallant ended up basically benching Heedle for the third period. He only got two shifts in the third period. He ended up moving Barclay Gaudreau up to play on that line for the final 20 minutes or so. And it makes you wonder if if that line is going to be the way to go. I do wonder if Lafreniere eventually needs to get moved back up. Is that going to be a way that you can fuel his confidence in the way that we see Kako's confidence being fueled right now? I'm still kind of curious about Heedle with Panarin. Is that something that the Rangers will give another look at at some point if the Trocheck thing doesn't work out? Because Heedle had been playing, I think, for the most part pretty well this season. And now all of a sudden you've got Gallant kind of disciplining him after that line was on for both of Carolina's final two goals. So you know he wasn't happy with the way that they played in that game. And now I'm kind of curious to see what he does moving forward. I'll be heading to practice in just a little bit. So I will definitely have some updates for you guys in the final segment. I'm going to wait to record that until I get back from practice. But I wanted to record the opening this morning because we had the Jimmy VC news and because I just had a little time and I'm going to have a lot of stuff going on later this afternoon. So I will be back later. But again, top line for me, absolutely clicking, absolutely needs to stay together. The other three lines, I think we're still kind of feeling things out and unsure of the best way for all of those pieces to fit. But regardless, Rangers have a couple big wins in a row. And as a team, they're feeling pretty good about themselves right now. So with that, let's get to our interview with Johnny Brodzinski. And then I will be back for the final segment, which will happen after I get back from practice. So I'll have some updates for you guys from practice, and we'll also get to some of your Twitter questions. But first, here's Johnny. All right, here in the locker room with Johnny Bradzinski. Johnny, I want to ask you about a bunch of stuff, but uh, start with a little hockey, and then we'll get into more of the fun stuff. Your journey here, I think, is a little more interesting. I know you came from Minnesota, bounced around the AHL quite a bit. I know you were drafted by the Kings. Um, so I guess just for, for fans who, from the outside looking in, maybe don't like fully grasp or understand you know, what a guy like you at 29 years old goes through to get here. Like, Can you give them an idea of just sticking with it, you know, 
being the captain at Hartford, coming up here last year, getting a good run, you know, kind of the, the, the back and forth. Like, like, what is that like for a guy like you? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll start from the beginning. It was uh, coming up in, uh, like, Blaine High School hockey, Blaine Youth hockey, and back in Minnesota. Um, wasn't really uh, a high-end player pretty much my whole youth, even in the maybe beginning of my high school years. Um, was on a couple B teams, was never on the A teams kind of growing up. I was first year was on the B, second year was on the A teams for Pee Wee's uh, squirts, Bantams. Um, high school, didn't make it my freshman year for varsity. It's on the JV team. Sophomore year, I was back and forth, finished on the varsity team. And then uh, last two years, ended up playing with uh, Nick Bukestead, a um, couple good players coming out of uh, Blaine who ended up playing Division One. Um, but was kind of uh, like a second-tier player in high school. Um, ended up my last two years, was kind of leading the team there. Um, got a offer to St. Cloud State. Um, went and played the year after in Fargo. Uh, didn't do great. I think I only had about 22, maybe close to 30 points mm-hmm. in 70-something games in the USHL. So um, wasn't a high-end NHL prospect. Um, wasn't even on anybody's radar. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Um, Bob Motzko and St. Cloud had a lot of faith in me and um, put me in a good spot to succeed. Um, ended up playing with uh, Drew LeBlanc, won the Hobie that year. Um, Kali Kosala, um, who was with the uh, uh, Anaheim, so Toronto for a bit. Um, but ended up playing with those two guys. Ended up having 22 goals my first year um, in college. Um, got drafted my final year of eligibility to L.A. Um, and then credit a lot to uh, LA with the development process there. They they do a really really good job. I think I grew a lot as a player in those first couple of years in their organization. Um, really enjoyed my time there and kind of back and forth there too. Is um, first couple of years we're in the American League. Finally got a shot and then kind of like every year been bouncing back and forth between the American League and the NHL. Um, ended up my last year there. Um, was in a really good spot uh, very beginning of the year. I was playing with uh, Ayafalo and Kempe. We were on the third line. Um, was set up to have a really good year. Very last preseason game, I got hit from behind going into the boards. Um, ended up separating my shoulder out for six and a half months. Um, end of the season, they decided not to re-sign me. So um, next year, ended up going to San Jose. Kind of same similar situation, mm-hmm. uh, back and forth. You're never as loved as you are as you are with your first team. So. Um, very easy to get set down in that situation so um, first guy down um, ended up being a leader down there in the, uh, for the Barracuda um, and then when they needed me I, I got back up um, played a few games so um, and then uh, yeah after the, after that year I was looking for something new um, came to New York and um, loved every minute of it since then what what does it say number one I guess about your love of the game and the persistence that it requires the the mental fortitude that it requires like you know I guess some people would look and say you know what makes you keep going what makes you keep striving for that goal I guess probably just family for sure um, trying to set my daughter up for uh, for a good life and um, you know trying to make an easy one for my wife so um, that's it's it is it is a lot of uh, I'd say the mental grind is almost harder than the physical most times. Um, you know, with the last I mean even the last probably four years, I've probably been sent up and called, or called up and sent down I don't know, twenty times maybe. Mm-hmm. So it's it's uh, a lot of thinking that it's your um, going to be your shot and it's going to be you know you're finally going to solidify yourself in the NHL and then get let back down. So I mean there's a there's a lot of times where 
you have to just um, you kind of just just keep going and it's, it's, it is really hard but you know at the same time it's very rewarding and it, I think you being the captain at Hartford kind of speaks to you having a positive outlook and taking on a leadership role even if it's not necessarily the situation you, you know that you're aiming for is that important to you as well yeah for sure I think probably after I was with San Jose um, my mentality kind of flipped to where you know I, I wasn't you know going to be you know upset if I was in the, in the American League I knew that the organization liked me and that they wanted me to be a leader down there so if, if I got if I did get sent down I couldn't be kind of the guy that's you know bringing the, the energy in the locker room down or you know being upset that I was down there because um, you know guys can pick that out pretty quick um, so just having a positive attitude I'm down there and you know just kind of kind of embrace my leadership role um, and uh, yeah I thought, I thought it's been going really good I, I, I enjoy being captain I, I enjoy uh, helping these younger guys grow now let's get into a little more fun stuff here uh, hockey wise do you have a if you think back whether it's youth pro whatever college did you have a favorite hockey memory it doesn't have to be playing too it could be watching it could be anything i would probably say it would be my first year in college um kind of that whole year went to the frozen four ended up getting bounced by uh quinnipiac in the the first game of the frozen four but kind of that whole year um we were so good uh nick dowd nick jensen um Charlie Lindgren, all those guys on the team is uh, we had a great team and it was um, it was a lot of fun. We won a lot of games. Um, that was the last year of the WCHA, so um, a lot of memories there. I didn't realize you played with Charlie. So have you known Ryan through that? And you both are Minnesota guys too. So yeah, I actually this is you know since coming here is actually the first time I've I've seen him, but I've obviously known of him and through his brother. Um, but yeah, me and uh, me and Charlie are really good friends. Cool. Uh, the uh biggest hockey influence for you i don't know if it's one of those coaches you named or you know family member and who's been the biggest hockey influence for you uh my dad for sure he uh three three younger brothers um dad coached all of us um he played played in high school for blaine and then he ended up sp- splitting his uh college career he played two years at st cloud two years at the university of minnesota and then uh and it ended up that um i went to st cloud Michael, who's just underneath me, went to the University of Minnesota. Easton, who's the next one, went to St. Cloud. And then Bryce, who's the youngest, is in Minnesota. So all four of us split St. Cloud Minnesota. Um, but, yeah, coached, coached all of us growing up. Um, we would have uh, the, the Bantams at 6 o'clock, Peewees at uh, 7, Squirts at 8, Mites at 9, and it kind of just go throughout the whole day. All four boys would stay on the ice the entire time with our dad and, um, yeah, it was great, and uh, I enjoyed every minute of it. So sticking with the Minnesota theme, were you a Wild fan growing up? I was, yeah. We went to a lot of games. Um, Mark Parrish is one, one of my favorite players. He St. Cloud guy, ended up playing in Minnesota. So um, growing up, kind of always followed him. Um, yeah. So did you have any other favorite players, or was that your guy? Um, Steve Geiserman, um Grew up using his curve, that junior Geiserman curve. So um, always liked him as a player. Uh yeah, but other than those two guys, is yeah. So looking around the locker room here, now you've gotten to spend a decent amount of time with all these guys. Uh, I don't know from a skill perspective, strength perspective, skating perspective. Uh, there's a lot of talented guys in here, obviously, but but who jumps out to you when you come up here and get to play with these guys, and for what reasons, I guess? Um, I'd probably say the one that surprised me the most was probably Mika, uh-huh. just with like how, like coming from like a center perspective, like he just seems to always be in the right spot. He's just a very smart player, and I've, I've tried to watch him as much as I can just to um, be better defensively. And but he, he has such a such a gift offensively too that um, 
you know, he, he doesn't give up a lot in the defensive zone, but he, he, he's always on the score sheet. So I'm um, trying to take little bits and pieces I can from him. Personalities in here, like who strikes you as the, who's the funniest guy or the biggest prankster or something like that? Oh, God. Um, I'm probably like undercover, probably one of the funniest guys I think is Foxy. I think he's just, uh, he's, he's a quieter guy, but I, uh, him and him and laugh probably the laugh is just a goofy guy and he's uh, great to be around but yeah i, I think fox is hilarious you you have a locker next to laugh so you get be getting to know him pretty well yeah yeah for sure i uh i like laugh a lot he's uh he's a character yeah uh who's anybody strike you as the most competitive like not necessarily on the ice but like if you guys are playing cards or doing things like that on the plane or whatever it, it, who who uh, gets really into that kind of stuff um probably troops yeah he uh <laughs> I play cards with him on the plane, so um, he uh, plays with uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of grit on the card table. He's, uh, <laughs> you know, if I if I uh, get over the top of him on a on a hand, he uh, he'll put it in the back of his mind and, and keep that there for a while. Oh, so grit on and off the ice. Oh, yeah. um, for for you, this is what I'm a big food guy, so I always ask these guys, and it always gets a big response from the fans. Like everybody was giving Jimmy VC a hard time because he's a very picky eater. It sounds like. So, what's your favorite food? Um, I wouldn't say that I'm a I'm a picky eater at all. I'll pretty much eat anything, but um, I'd probably say anything um, burrito, tacos, kind of Taco Tuesdays pretty much my favorite day of the week so um yeah anytime you can you can give me a burrito or burrito bowl i'm all all over it that's i'm I'm done with that uh what is your are you a music guy yeah yeah favorite music or band Um, i I, that's another thing too like i i have a weird thing where i can like i'll listen to a song like three or four times i'll know every word to it i don't know what it is but um pretty much anything uh like hip-hop rap country um kind of oldies too like uh, you name it, I'll probably know it. Variety, you like? Very variety, yeah. Right. What about for you when you're not playing hockey, off-season, off-day, whatever? What, what are your favorite hobbies to do when you're not doing hockey stuff? Well, it's not necessarily my hobbies anymore. It's kind of my I daughter's hobbies. That, so yeah. um, I love going to the trampoline park. I love going to the park. Um, I love going to play places. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when, it's, when I'm not, when I'm not with, uh, with Lucy or Lauren, it's... Um, trying to get on Xbox and talking to my brothers. That's kind of the uh, thing we like to do and just stay up to date with those guys. Um, not very good anymore, but um, I think it's I think it's probably one of the best sources of communication for us, kind of uh, going through our hockey careers as we can always stay connected on that. That's funny. Uh, all right, that's a good segue to the last one, too. Uh, as a dad, I, I've, I saw at least one game recently. Your daughter was at the game. I'm sure it's really cool to have her experience that. Uh, do you have a favorite dad story or anything just about being a dad that you think is the coolest part? Oh, there's so much. Um, I'm sure Christmas was a big thing this year. She, yeah. Did she, like, understand the Santa concept? Yeah. She, she, this year was kind of the first year that she she really understood it, and I spent about two and a half hours trying to set up her uh, little kitchen, her, uh, kitchen set we got her and then, uh, like, a Barbie dream house, and all. it took so long, but she had a, she had a great time, and there's just uh like getting around the ice for our team skate uh central park i thought that was great she's finally starting to get it and it's just every day it's something new mm-hmm. um she stopped watching these uh those, those kids videos like coca and stuff like that and now she's like super into 
watching like hockey game highlights yeah. and even just like the intros to like teams skating out on the ice. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know why, but she loves it. Um, her favorite team right now. I hate to say it, but it's the San Jose Sharks. <laughs> <laughs> and just because she loves watching the skaters skate out of that big shark head, yeah. Um, so yeah, she. Uh, but she'll like if if I play on a Thursday, Friday morning, she's waking up and she's uh, telling my wife to turn the game on so she can watch the the, the game. But she likes the Sharks more than the Rangers. No, I wouldn't necessarily say that. <laughs> it, it's, she's definitely a massive Rangers fan. Yeah. Um, like we'll go on car, uh, like road trips and stuff like that, or whether we're driving back from Hartford or whatnot she'll like i'll throw my phone back to her and she'll like watch um from like a uh, video from like a fan in the stands of a goal and then the whole fan section doing like the oh that one and she'll do the entire thing with like her hands and doing the fist pumps and everything so but she'll she'll just keep replaying that video and replaying and replaying it so we got 45 minutes of the uh rangers goal song that's cute that's cute you said it took you two hours to make your kitchen center yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, we did ours took like three or four. We got them the same thing this uh, year. Yeah, it's crazy. We did the. Uh, it was a. It was a mini grocery store, so it's like a full conveyor belt. You can like put the uh, groceries at the end, and then she like winds it and brings it in. Mm-hmm. She can wring everything out. Um, she has a kitchen set, and then we got this like. Uh, it's like a small for like mini Barbies, and they kind of go into the house and stuff, and so set up a whole bed set and everything yeah. is. It's a lot of work, but it, worth it. Yeah, definitely worth it. Cool. Johnny, well, thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. Of course. And we're back. Thanks to Johnny for taking some time to talk and do that segment with us after the morning skate on Tuesday. I really do hope you guys enjoy it. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, I really do hope that it gives you some perspective behind the scenes on what a guy like Brodzinski and many, many others who are these sort of guys that bounce around between the AHL and the NHL and have trouble sticking yet still stick with it and still keep chasing their dreams. I just think it's an important thing for us to take note of. Obviously, I'm not asking for you to feel sorry for these guys. I don't think that they're necessarily sympathetic figures because a lot of them still make significantly more money than the average person, and they're getting to play a game that they love as a career. So it's not that I'm saying we should feel bad for these guys necessarily, but it is a situation where I think it requires mental fortitude. I think it requires perseverance. I think it requires a strong-willed person who isn't going to let coming up short of your goal beat you down and is going to keep pushing and keep pushing. A lot of these guys, maybe Brodzinski included, might never get the chance to live out their dream of playing 82 games for a team and holding down a consistent role. That might not be in the cards for him, but I give him credit for sticking with it and for doing it with such an optimistic attitude. And you heard him talk about some of the leadership stuff and how he was named the captain of Hartford and he took that very seriously. And of course, especially for me now experiencing this as a parent, to hear him talk about wanting to provide for his family and and for a guy like him, this is a great avenue to provide for your family. So even if he's not ending up where he wants to be or not getting the ice time that he wants or what have you, to still keep things in perspective and say, I'm doing this for my family. I'm doing this because I want to give my daughter or my son or whatever it might be, depending on the player, a better life. 
I think that's admirable as well. So I, I thought that was a cool conversation. And of course, we had a little fun at the end of it. And I mentioned to you guys before that interview that I was recording the first segment prior to practice on Wednesday. Now I'm back from practice. So a couple little notes that I wanted to hit on as far as what we saw and what we talked about. Main thing was Jimmy VC. There's a lot of attention around him. And I also think that this relates a little bit to the conversation that we're having about Bradzinski because after the scrum kind of dissipated and Jimmy was still hanging out at his locker, I ended up hanging out and talking to him for a little bit longer. And one of my specific questions was, why do this contract now? You're having a good season. You're probably positioning yourself to where if you hit the open market as a free agent this summer, maybe you could get more than $800,000 a year. Maybe you could find a team that's willing to go longer on the term or whatever. You could have created a competitive environment and probably squeezed a little more money out of whether it was the Rangers or some other team. And He was so genuine, I felt like, with his response to that. It's not about the money for a guy like that at this stage. He talked about how stressful it was for him the last few years when he didn't know if he was going to be able to play in the NHL, when he wasn't getting any guaranteed contract offers. It was all PTOs or very little of anything. This past summer, I think, was probably the most competitive situation for him because he had had a pretty solid year with the Devils and kind of got recognized as a decent penalty killer and all that. But he still didn't get any guaranteed contract offers. So going through these summers where nothing was guaranteed for him and he had to come into these training camps and scratch and claw and fight just to get on the roster for these teams, having a team that wanted him for multiple years that would give him some stability, that would give him some security. And on top of that, it being a place where there's no doubt about it, he loves being here. He values being here. This is the team that he chose to sign with out of college. It's the place where he wanted to succeed. He felt like there was unfinished business when he got traded. He definitely sounded like he was disappointed when the Rangers sent him to Buffalo in that summer of 2019. And going through what he's gone through since he left gave him more of an appreciation to come back here. He also loves living in the city. I know he has a lot of friends that live in the city. So from a lifestyle perspective, this is where he wanted to be. And you add up all those things on top of him having success on the ice here, probably the the most success he's had on the ice since he left. I would say undoubtedly the most success he's had since he left. That all added up to him saying, you know what? Maybe I could have squeezed an extra 100000 or $200,000 a year out of another team. But to have the contract done now and to go into the summer knowing where he's going to be next year and having that sense of comfort, that was way more valuable to him. And that just shows you it isn't all about money. A lot of it's about money. Sports is a, is a huge, lucrative business. But I, I, did, I did find it kind of cool to hear Jimmy talk about that stuff. And, and I, you know, if I'm being honest with you guys, you're happy for the guy too. Good for him. This has been a trying few years for him. And now he seems like he's in a really good place and has some peace of mind. I wrote a full story about that. It's up on loha.com slash sports slash Rangers. So I did want to quickly touch on that. And then the last quick thing that came out of practice, because we talked about this a little bit in the first segment, and I know there were some questions about it in the Twitter forum that I started. Philip Heedle getting moved down to the fourth line at the end of that game against Carolina the other night. And he only had two shifts in the third period. So it definitely looked like a a benching or a demotion, whatever you want to call it. 
Gerard Glenn did point this out today, and I think this is important to keep in mind. Hedl has been sick in the last few days. I didn't know this until today, but he's been sick. He was dealing with this sickness or illness, whatever it is, in Florida. And Glenn said that he thought that Hedl didn't look right on Tuesday night against Carolina and that he didn't seem to have the energy that he usually has. So that played into the decision to cut down on his ice time later in the game. And Gallant was adamant that Heedles had a really good season for him and he's going to be right back in his regular spot centering the third line for the Thursday game in Montreal. So just a quick little note I wanted to hit on there. I don't think this was nearly as significant as the Lafreniere scratch or, or some of the other instances that we've seen when younger players get demoted because of poor play. This certainly had to do with poor play, but I think there was concern on Gallant and the Rangers' part that Hedl wasn't feeling well and was trying to gut his way through it, and, and they thought, okay, maybe we should back off and, and let this guy rest a little bit more because he doesn't look right to us. So I think that that was a factor in that heel demotion as well. Other than that, no really big news to come out of it. I would expect to see the same lineup in Montreal on Thursday. The only question is going to be the goalie. It wouldn't shock me if Yarrow Halak gets to play, but Igor got a night off in Florida over the weekend, so maybe they keep riding him as well. We'll find out. All right, let's get to the first question, which comes from Michael Silvers, who wrote, quote, You mentioned after the Carolina game that Truba and Miller as a pair have given up the most goals of any pair in the league. Do you think Gallant should consider breaking them up for at least a game or two and see how things go? This is a good question, Michael. We talked about the forwards in the beginning of the show, but we'll talk about the the D pairs right now. It's a tricky question also because, yes, the Miller-Truba pair has largely been disappointing this season, And if you're strictly looking at the results, and that's ultimately what matters, they've been on the ice for way too many goals against. It's up to 32 right now, I believe is the number for that, for what they've allowed. And that's five more last I had checked than any other D pair in the entire league. So they are in that spot of most goals allowed by a wide margin. And trust me, that's not a spot that any defenseman or any D pair wants to be and they know it Keandre Miller I spoke to him after the game on Tuesday night he said I I know we've had our struggles we weren't happy with with the way that we played early on in the Hurricanes game now they did to an extent bounce back Truba did get a power play goal and Miller was great in the third period I thought he he comes up with the winning goal and he did a lot of really good work on that play. Not only did he carry the puck into the offensive zone and then find Capo Caco behind the net, but he kept moving his feet. He was an active presence. And then he came back around into the shooting lane. So when Mika Zabanajad let go of that long one-timer from up near the blue line, that shot probably on its own wasn't going to go in. But Miller got into the shooting lane, got his stick on the puck, and deflected it, and and then got it in for the winning goal for the Rangers. He also had an assist on Heedle's empty netter at the end of the game. I thought he was really, really dynamic and active in that third period, and I'm sure part of that was him being probably kind of angry about the way that earlier in the game had gone for him and Truba. And I do think that in Miller's case in particular, he's been really good in the last few weeks. He has lapses. Like you can look at the second goal 
that Carolina scored on Tuesday night. That one stood out to me where Miller came out to play a man who was way out along the boards and he left the net unprotected and that set up Carolina for an easy one-timer. So he does still occasionally have this tendency to drift out of position. Now, he's trying to make a play. He knows with his speed and his length that if he chases guys, a lot of times he can get a stick on a puck and create a turnover, but you've got to pick your spots. And when you go in that situation, you've got to be right about it because you're leaving your team vulnerable on the back end. But I think his overall skill set, we've talked about that before, and, and in general, the way that he's been playing in the last few weeks has been very much positive for the most part. Truba has had his ups and downs. I do think it's been a little bit better recently, but there's been a couple not so great games in here in the last few. So it is a valid question, especially given Truba's struggles all season long. I thought he was worse earlier in the season. Would it be a positive development or a positive shakeup for the Rangers to change those pairs up? The question is, what do you do? Because the Adam Fox-Ryan Lindgren pair has been so consistent and so good for the Rangers for multiple years, and they've been hands down their best pair this year, there is a reluctance, understandably so, to break those guys up. Now, I know a lot of people will say Adam Fox is great. It doesn't matter who he plays with. And to some degree, I'm sure that's true. But trust me, I've talked to both of these guys about it. I see them interacting with each other on a daily basis, and we all see the way that they play together. There is something about the chemistry between Fox and Lindgren. And I don't think it's an easy call to break that up. So with all that being said, if you did want to try something new, and again, I think there is a case to to consider this, there's two ways you can go. One is if you go ahead and make that move and rip the Band-Aid off and separate Fox and Lindgren, the obvious move is to play Miller with Fox, and that is your new top pair. That is a dynamic top pair. They have everything. Fox has the skill and the vision and has turned himself into a really good defensive player who always seems to have his stick in the right spot, an incredibly smart player, a Norris Trophy winner, one of the best defensemen in the league. And then in Miller, you've got a physical freak who can do everything. And playing with Fox would be a very, very appealing thing and intriguing thing to see for him. That would leave your second pair with Truba and Lindgren. And while I think there would be some limitations there, maybe the stability that comes with a guy like Lindgren, who very, very rarely seems to make a mistake and is always protecting his partner on the back end, maybe that would be a good thing for Truba. I would question which one of those guys is effectively carrying the puck up the ice, because right now Fox does that with the Lindgren pair and Miller does that with the Truba pair. But there are some reasons to think that it could work, and then you would keep your bottom pair as is. The other option is if you really feel strongly about keeping Fox and Lindgren together, there's a strong argument that Braden Schneider, who I wrote a long story about the other day, has outplayed Jacob Truba this season. And if you're strictly basing this on merit, you could certainly argue that Schneider has earned more ice time so far this season than Truba, and then you could have a Miller-Schneider pair. Of course, that would mean dropping Truba to the third pair where he'd play with Ben Harper, and quite frankly, I don't see that happening. This realistically is a situation where politics would come into play. 
Trub is an $8 million a year player. He's the captain of this team. We've seen stretches, short stretches, where Gallant has moved him down to the third pair when his play has warranted it. But I do not see him making that move for the long term. So that option B, while I think you could justify it and it would make some sense, and Schneider in a lot of ways has earned maybe a move up in the lineup, I I think that that is unlikely. I also think it's almost as unlikely that he breaks up Fox and Lindgren and does the the Miller-Fox thing with the Lindgren troop of pair as a second pair. So my hunch is that he's not going to break them up and he's going to stick with them. But I do think it's a valid conversation that you bring up, Michael. And if it were me, I think I would be curious to maybe take a look at both of those options that we discussed if this continues. Again, I do think for the most part, Truba and Miller have been better recently, but at the end of the day, giving up as many goals as they've been giving up is alarming. And if it continues, this will probably be something that I dig in a little bit deeper on. So we'll see how it goes. But as far as what I actually think is going to happen, I I don't think you're going to see any of these changes that we're discussing. All right. Let's get to our next question, which comes from Zach Hakim, who wrote, With the recent play of Harper, in your eyes, should left-handed defenseman or right wing be the priority at the deadline? I personally still think getting a bona fide top four demon in the three LD spot would make the biggest difference for this team come playoffs. Zach, in an ideal world, The Rangers want to do both of these things, and I think they're absolutely going to try to do both of these things. But I've been pretty consistent in saying if it's me, my number one priority is balancing out those forward lines. And in order to do that, I do think you need a right winger who can play somewhere in your top nine. I've gone on record multiple times saying I don't think it has to be Patrick Kane. I don't even think that Patrick Kane at this point is the likely outcome. But I do think... Uh, I don't want to say a lesser player, but a player who's not as flashy or big named. I do think that finding somebody who can score, especially a guy who can shoot and a guy who has some speed would be really important elements to add to this lineup. And if you look at the way that the current lines are going, we talked about the top line and how I absolutely think they need to keep those guys together. But the second and the third line right now, I still have questions about. And I think adding an upgrade, adding a right winger who could slot in either on the second or third line and balance everything out a bit more, make all the pieces fall into place, would be my priority still. Because right now your right wingers are Vitaly Kratzoff, who we need to see more out of. I think the, the jury is still out as far as whether he is going to be a guy that the Rangers can trust and count on in the playoffs. They need to keep playing him to find out. Right now, I think it's been better. I think we've seen some of those flashy skill plays from him. You've seen him go between the legs a few times and show that he's capable of making those jaw-dropping skill plays, the reasons that he was drafted. But in talking to some people and in just watching the games, there are still situations where you feel like he's not as engaged as he should be. He definitely seems to shy away from the physical side of the game. And listen, you know, that's not the kind of player that he is. So I'm not expecting him to go in there and throw the body or mix it up or start fighting or whatever. 
But you've got to be able to retrieve pucks when necessary. You've got to be able to win some battles on occasion. And you've got to be able to handle yourself in those situations. Just look at the difference between him and Kako right now. When Kako has the puck and there's a defender hounding him, Kako has become really strong and really effective at keeping possession of that puck and finding a way to get to an open teammate or at least get it deep so that the Rangers have a chance to maintain possession. Kratzoff in a lot of those situations is getting pushed off the puck. So I think developing in that way, and Gallant once again today brought up that the main thing he's watching for him is the 200-foot game, so you know the defensive side of it is really important for him. I think rounding out his game in those ways is going to be a necessity. And I think if he starts building confidence in all those other areas, you're going to see those skill plays start to pop more often. It is better, though. I do think that the last couple games you've noticed him more, and that's certainly a positive. But we got to see a lot more of it out of him. And then the other guy is Jimmy Vesey, who, listen, we just talked about how effective he is and how he's earned the contract that he got. But we, A, know he's playing out of position on the right wing. Gallant brought that up again today that he thinks VC is better on the left wing. And B, I still think that moving him down to the fourth line wouldn't be the worst thing. And if you could get an upgrade in that top nine on the right wing, I think that would be a really positive thing for the Rangers. And again, somebody who can finish and somebody who can skate pretty well, I think has to be right at the top of, of what you're looking for. With that being said, left-handed defenseman, even though Ben Harper, give him credit, he's been solid. He's been better, honestly, than I expected him to be. And I think he's been a stabilizing presence for Braden Schneider as well. Schneider mentioned that when we spoke the other day. I still think you're going to want to add some depth there. You're going to want to look at a potential upgrade. So again, they're going to be looking at both, but their top four defensemen are set for the most part. So Whoever you acquire, I think, is going to be a bottom pair guy and is probably only going to play somewhere in the 13 to 15 minute a night range. So for me, getting a top nine forward, a guy who adds some scoring punch, a guy who balances out the lineup is a slightly higher priority still than left-handed defensemen, although the, the people that want to argue it the other way, I think we could have a debate there for sure. Again, they're going to look for both sacks, so we'll see what ends up happening with that. Last question comes from Michael Anthony, who wrote, Loved your article on developing prospects. I think it indirectly explains the firing of JD, meaning John Davidson. Ownership does not have patience. JD was preaching a clear clash of interest. Look at Quentin Byfield. We could never do that in New York. Do you think Drury is tough enough to buck this trend? Well, Michael, I don't think it has anything to do with toughness. I do think, though, as I raised in that story that you mentioned, which came out on Monday and stemmed in in a lot of ways from my visit with Hartford, I do think that it is incumbent on Drury to learn from past mistakes and make the proper corrections moving forward. That was the overwhelming point of that story. And I wasn't even necessarily trying to act like I had all the answers in that story because I don't. But I do think that there are a lot of legitimate questions that the Rangers need to be asking themselves internally about why more of these recent prospects, especially the forwards, because, you know, we could go down the list of defensemen. We just named a whole bunch of them. The Rangers have been pretty good at developing defensemen. And obviously, with Benny Allaire leading the goalie group, they've been outstanding at developing goalies. So those two positions aren't a problem. The issue is 
the forwards, specifically the highly drafted skilled forwards that they based a lot of this rebuild around, a lot of them have not turned out the way that you would like so far. There's still time. We've talked a lot on this podcast in the past about patience and about how development doesn't happen overnight. And I'm certainly not giving up on any of these guys. I have questions about Kratzoff that we just touched on. I certainly think there are questions around the league right now about Alexi Lafreniere and why things haven't popped for him quite yet. But I think that for the most part, Philip Heedle has been trending in the right direction. And Capo Caco, to me, in these last handful of games, has been one of the Rangers' best players. I think it's been an overwhelmingly positive season for him, too. So these guys are developing at different paces, each of them at their own pace. And so if they end up turning out, then some of these questions will die down. But you even look at the history. I laid it all out in the story. And a lot of this, none of this, you know, especially guys that were drafted however many years ago, it doesn't fall at the feet of Drury. But he is in a position now where he can assess what went wrong with these guys and make sure that they do better moving forward. And a lot of the questions that I raised in the story are, could they be taking a more patient approach with how quickly they bring these guys to the NHL. I think that's something that they need to look at. It's something that Chris Knobloch said to me when we were in Hartford. He said he thinks the biggest mistake that they make with prospects is not being patient enough. And if they end up in the NHL, but then they have to be sent back down, he called it the yo-yo game. That yo-yo game is what he said he thinks has the biggest negative effect on young players' confidence. And I agree. That's something that I've picked up from talking to these players. When they don't know where they're going to play or they're nervous about losing their spot or getting sent down or getting their line changed all the time, that for most guys, not all, but for most guys, seems to have a negative effect. And at that tender age, a lot of these kids are 18, 19, 20 years old, confidence is a fragile thing. And I think the Rangers could do a better job of fostering that than they have which means less of this line juggling and less of this up and down stuff all the time. But also, maybe in some of these situations, it would have made sense to wait a little bit longer before you throw them right into the NHL fire. Now, as somebody brought up to me the other day, and it's a valid point, in the case of Lafreniere and Kako, those guys are so highly drafted that had the Rangers not sent them right to the NHL, they certainly would have faced some criticism. But... That doesn't mean that in the future, maybe that wouldn't be the right thing to do if you have another highly drafted guy like that. I don't know. It's a case-by-case basis. But you have to wonder, would things have turned out differently for them had they built up their games and developed more at the lower levels? Unfortunately for a lot of these young guys, 18, 19 years old, the AHL is not an option. I would like to see that changed personally. So you kind of have to get a little more creative, and, and that certainly isn't easy for a lot of these teams. But I think that's a question that I would be asking internally. I think communication is an area where the Rangers could improve. I've had young players say to me when they've been scratched or when they've been demoted or whatever, or when they're not playing well and the coach seems to be upset with them. I've asked players on multiple occasions, has it been communicated to you what they want to see more out of out of you or where you need to improve or why this change is being made? And a lot of times the answer is no. And I think that that lack of communication has caused rifts. We've seen it with Leas Anderson. We've seen it with Vitaly Kratzoff. We've seen it with Nils Lundqvist. So I think there are these instances where over-communicating 
would have been a better option than under communicating. And, and for the Rangers, I think you can look in the mirror and say, okay, what can we do to set expectations for these guys so that we don't have such major disappointment on their part that then leads to them requesting a trade or them feeling bad about themselves or what have you. So I think that that's something that, that I would look at as well. I laid out a lot of different stuff in the story, but I do think that while certainly all the blame for every prospect that didn't turn out does not necessarily fall on the organization and certainly doesn't fall under the current regime, for them to be better at this stuff moving forward, it requires some introspection. You've got to get a feel for what's putting these guys in the best position to succeed, what is making them feel good about themselves, and what is maximizing their performance. And and I think Kaka right now is a case in point. They're doing the right thing with him, and it's paying off for them. Now we'll see what they do moving forward with this next wave, guys like Brennan Othman and Will Cooley and whoever else ends up showing up in New York in the next few years whether it's Brett Berard or whether it's Adam Sakura or whoever. There's a lot of guys that they're hoping will eventually make it to this level and help fill out their lineup. And it's going to be interesting to see how those guys are handled in the coming years based on the experiences that they just had with the Heatles and the Lafreniere's and the Kratzoffs and the Kakos who are sort of not the guinea pigs right now, but I think these are guys that they can learn a lot from based on how their development and how their integration into the NHL has gone. All right. With that, we are going to end this week's episode. I really appreciate everybody for listening. I appreciate Johnny Brodzinski for taking the time to come on the show. Ended up being quite a jam-packed show, but first show of the new year. We had to go big. We had to go a little long. I had a lot of stuff that I wanted to get to this week, and I'm glad we were able to do it. I will be back next week with a lot more to talk about. You can expect a guest who is going to help us go through the world juniors and talk about some of the Rangers prospects who have been playing pretty well. You should pay attention if you haven't been, because a lot of the young guys for the Rangers that are involved in that tournament have been showing well for themselves. So we'll get into that next week. But for now, I'm going to get going. I wish you guys all a great rest of the week. Stay safe, stay well, stay healthy, and I will talk to you next week.